to White Are we live? Possibly. It's possible we're live right now. You're live right now. Yes. We are? Crashed. Oh, okay. Huh. Hey, everyone. Uh, hey. I guess the uh, the intro music crashed today, so we'll have to make our own, Michael Vincent. So there you go. Well, I didn't you plug it are, in because I usually have to do it science. You are listening to what? The Truck. I'm Dooner here with... I'm Dooner here with... Michael Vincent, the dude. Hey, we'll get this right. Yeah, you totally miss... It. You're missing your cue without the music. It's harder to, to do. <sighs> I'm very confused, my friend. I'm very, wow. very confused. We're off to a great start for all of our listeners joining us from Freight Waves Radio <laughs> who jumped in. I, this ship's usually a little bit tighter. We're broadcasting uh, We're broadcasting remote. You know, we're still in that COVID world, so there's some restrictions going on, so we got to do it out of the houses, but we don't have all of our system stuff. So we're doing our best. Bear with us today. It's a great day in Freight Alley, but, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about all these ice storms that have been going on. There's been some really yeah. brutal weather. I've heard, like, heat in Texas is getting incredibly expensive too our buddy uh, our buddy frack slap over there from digital wildcatters is always complaining about that and that kind of sums up this weekend right it was the final episode of freight waves radio our last episode on sirius xm before we transition everything over to Freightcast, which is happening now like i said at the top of the show thank you so much those of you joining us who were catching that broadcast that michael vincent was also a part of it was also it's also Valentine's Day over the weekend. I know you've got two lovely special ladies or multiple lovely special ladies at the house. Um, some being true. daughters, one being a wife. What did you guys do for Valentine's Day? Well, you know, my wife and I celebrate every Friday our week anniversary, as it were. And so it's 643rd this this Friday. So uh, we do that. And so Valentine's Day was really about me, uh, our, my, me and my wife and our, and our girls and more about the girls so much. So romantic dinner I cooked for the four of us. And then, you know, girls got dolls and I did some, uh, you know, repainting of the kitchen that my wife wanted in master bedroom. So I worked a bit and cooked some dinner and made them feel like queens is what it was all about. Yeah. See, I tried to do I went with a different approach. So my like my kids and I would play like a lot of Transformers. We play a lot of video games and stuff. And sometimes my wife gets let out, let left out. Right. But she's a big Harry Potter fan. I got her the Harry Potter book collection last Mother's Day. It really got her through these these lockdown periods. Uh, but we tried yeah. to indoctrinate the kids into a little bit of Harry Potter. So we got them this uh, Lego great Hogwarts hall that they could build together. And uh, they dove right into it, the four and the six-year-old and my wife. And they got that thing done by the evening. I gave it to them on Saturday so they'd have time to build it over the weekend. But they they knocked it out right away. Wow. Did you ever build the the Hogwarts Express? the train no i haven't you know we had a different if you look in this picture there we had a different uh modular connection that goes to this it was sort of a smaller set mm -hmm. but it fits right into that hogwarts thing and then you have like the whole place set there but it was a good time it was a nice it was a nice week and i'm glad to be back at it here though on what the truck because on today's episode we're going to be catching up with a lot of stuff uh covid19 vaccines we're going to see what's going on with logistics there two months later we're going to hear about a revolutionary automated trailer that promises to change the game for intermodal a lot of questions about that um growing a legend at legend transportation we'll find out what's up with those guys and we'll have some career comeback stories talking about these ice storms that turn deadly for drivers a truck fire that caused a million dollars in damage in wisconsin um keystone pipeline cancellations how that's going to impact rail and uh the jaguar goes all electric starting in 2025 let's tip the band and then we'll get to the headlines this episode is brought to you by legend transportation which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007 learn more at newlegendinc.com all right 
headlines. So you guys see, there's been some awful, awful pictures and videos of these of this online. We have a few pictures. Multiple truck crashes in Texas. Oklahoma happened as this winter storm pummels the region. I've been, I'm seeing this all over the place. And even the trucks that aren't getting pummeled, they're being forced to pull over on the side of the road. I follow a lot of people on trucking Twitter, you know, looking at a lot of the traffic reports. And Michael Vincent, it looked uh, it looked pretty brutal out there. You can just look at these pictures, big fires and everything. And this is on top of what we talked about on Friday, where there were six people who died over in um, in Texas, right? Yeah, it's absolutely awful. And those are among the worst accidents, really, in the day without, uh, I mean, too many accidents to to count, really. The Oklahoma Highway Patrol said the turnpike crash involved semis and passenger cars and multiple victims being sent to the hospital. Law enforcement agencies in both states urging commercial and drivers to uh, private drivers, you know, uh, to avoid trips during the storm on their way, at least moving towards the east. Uh, and it said if you're driving with 80,000 pound load on, on your back, <laughs> it's better to get there safe or lose your truck or maybe, or maybe even lose your, your life. So uh, urging people uh, not to get out there and attempt to go through this. Have you ever been stuck in an ice storm like that, Dooner? Yeah, I've been stuck in, uh, in many of them. You know, you have the nor'easters out in Massachusetts. Yeah. And those, I mean, it just picks up really and it can accumulate really, really quickly. But the snow never scared me nearly as much as the, the ice because oh, – yeah. There's nothing scarier than realizing you're out of control of your car and you're careening towards something and doing the best you can to save your life. There's actually a few people in the comments here who are, who are out right now. Robert Hill, he says it's zero degrees. It feels like negative five. Life is good. Uh, Renee and Kevin, they're saying, hey, guys, it's getting icy up here in North Alabama. I know the south mm. is just getting slammed and, you know, not the most prepared for it down in these regions, especially when it comes to salt. And you saw what happened in Texas. I mean, that was awful with that road, especially with the closed shoulders. There was nowhere to go when those trucks just came careening in. And there was so much social media footage. It's like anything nowadays. You get so many different camera angles on the on the carnage. And it's it's awful to watch, but it's hard to look away sometimes. Yeah, it really is. It is awful to watch. And it, and, uh, but uh, I mean, the thing, you know, hopefully it gives people a sense of just, just stay home, man. It's just, it's just not worth it, dude. It's just not. And it does accumulate quick. Worst storm I've ever been in. It was in the panhandle of, 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 uh, of Texas. And it was, it was an ice storm and just driving and eventually couldn't go any further. It was too rough. And everything shut down, stuck there for 12 hours. Yeah, Bob Usi, he says Chicago is still under winter storm warning until noon on Tuesday. Uh, Robin Johnson says where I'm in uh, in Idaho on I-90 looks like a blizzard. Be safe, everyone. May the Lord's spirit protect you. And that's really all we can say. I mean, some of us, like if you can work remote, that's great. If you're, you know, obviously if you're a truck driver delivering goods, you don't you don't have that privilege, right? You don't have that same opportunity that many of us do, but still drive safe. And as we saw with trucks, when the conditions weren't good enough, Pull over and park. It's not worth the risk of your own life. Amen. It's not worth the risk of other drivers on the road because we saw how quickly this carnage could compound. And we got lucky with some of these accidents over the weekend where there was uh, where there was much less damage. But in that one in Fort Worth, there was 130 vehicles and six deaths as we've seen. What does Nick Austin um, have in the forecast for us as we move through this week? Yeah, well, he's obviously seen his shadow. So what he's telling us is over the next couple of days, a destructive winter storm Sunday hit the southern plains, making travel dangerous and slowing down supply chains due to potential road closures, obviously. And the storm has caused widespread outages, as we've as we've seen and talked about, and led to multiple crashes. Snow and ice pile up across several states and will cause more issues Monday, today and Tuesday 
from eastern Texas to the Mississippi, Tennessee, and up the Ohio Valley. So, I mean, this is just to the north of us just a little bit, Dooner. So you're going right up through West Virginia, Virginia, uh, and, and right into the Baltimore area in D.C. Uh, not good. You know, Eric, Eric Serta said, is there something with French toast when the weather gets like this? I heard something about buying a lot of French toast supplies before a storm in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's kind of a joke up in Mass. People, well, I mean, they're buying bread, eggs and milk. People go in and they do sort of that bullwhip thing we saw during uh, COVID at first. when Everyone was buying toilet paper. You go in Massachusetts, like the second there's a, a hint of a storm, you know, you see all the mass converge on the grocery store. And very quickly, all the milk, eggs and bread are gone. It looks like, you know, you're in a panic buying spree. Yeah. I, I, I never witnessed that in Ohio when I grew, I grew up in the snow belt. I never, when I moved south, then it was like, okay, wait a minute. We have the potential to be stuck at home for two, three days without power. Let's go buy everything perishable we can. I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I, you I think you're it. eventually going to get out. I don't know. You just the the, the, the you're going to fiend for some milk and some bread, I guess. Um, I don't I even, guess. Yeah, apparently. Here's a story that happened, too. A truck fire causes over a million dollars in damage at a carrier in Wisconsin. Let's find out what happened here. A fire that started in the engine compartment of a semi-truck caused this million dollars in damage. And this is sad. It's at a family-owned trucking company in Wisconsin. Twelve fire departments responded to Krilla uh, Camp Trucking in Allentown area. Uh, it's uh, what is it? Allentown area. It's a part of Addison. It's in the watch the Washington area, Washington County Sheriff's Office. This happened around five p.m. and it grew rapidly, and it just overtook this business. Yeah, it really did. And so the fire spread inside a 30,000 square foot pole shed housing. And don't think of just a normal pole shed. This caused a lot of damage. Housing a total of three semis, corn seed, cotton, wood shavings, uh, a lot of uh, uh, seemingly very flammable stuff, Dooner. So not a good place to get a a fire started. Uh, The caller fled truck, uh, fled the truck company's facility and shut the door to deprive the, the fire of oxygen. Firefighters ultimately extinguished the blaze before it could spread elsewhere, but everything was declared a total loss. They estimated just the structural damage mm. was a million dollars. Did not estimate and not included in there is the uh, the truck costs or the commodities that were destroyed as well. So just the structure was a million bucks. That's terrible. And you know, authorities are still looking into this one. They're not they're not sure what had caused the fire. James Daniel, he's over in Dallas today, and he says uh, just the power is out everywhere. Our Houston office, Dallas office, and Plano office. Yeah, Texas right now, I've been hearing that from everybody, having a lot of issues with energy in terms of very expensive energy at the moment, as well as a lot of blackouts and rolling blackouts. It's starting to become a little bit more like California down there. I think they're just not used to these extreme cold temperatures, just like how some areas when it gets extremely hot, right, the whole system gets taxed. This is just going the opposite direction. It really is. You, you would think well, it must, it's interesting. It must be a different demand when things get this cold than when they get that hot in the summer, right? Because they do get that hot in the summer quite often in, in, in Texas and Dallas. So, well, we know we know someone who knows how to keep it cool. It's Jeremy Schneider. He's FSQA business development director at Controlant out of Denver, Colorado. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Hey, speaking of Massachusetts, so I was looking at your background a little bit. And when I lived in Boston, one of my favorite shows was America's Test Kitchen with uh, Chris Kimball. They did a great job of talking about like the cooking and the science and making it easy for a moron like me. And it turns out you did an internship over there. Yeah, I did. It was uh, a blast. I was on the Cook's Countryside and um, got to uh, make a bunch of different recipes, and I helped perfect the uh, chili relleno over there. So that was a lot of fun. Oh wow! You you got to inscribe wow. your name in the in the cookbook of uh, American Test Kitchen history and, and Cooks Illustrated. And this has kind of been a lifelong journey so far in the um, doing logistics for the restaurant industry. Correct? Yeah, I 
been kind of doing a lot of different things. I grew up in restaurants, working in kitchens. Um, wanted to, I got, went to college because I wanted to be a chef, uh, met my wife and decided that uh, maybe food science is better based on the hours. And uh, <laughs> I worked in a bunch of different facilities uh, on the food manufacturing side and uh, QSR and, and restaurant side. So we've done a bunch of different things, which led me to, uh, to control it. That's really, it's really, really interesting, Jeremy. So how, but, so how does that working in the restaurant supply chain, how does that translate to vaccine distribution? How do you, what do you knowledge you take to that from that and, and apply it to this? Well, there's a lot of things that are, you know, very unique and special about the pharma uh, supply chain and the food industry uh, has its own challenges as well, but there's a lot of things that can be learned between the two. And um, we understand that the products are highly perishable. They need to get from point A to point B as quick as possible. Um, especially those items that are um, refrigerated or uh, not shelf stable. So we understand that the, the challenges are, you know, unique, but they're also very similar between the two industries. So what are what are some of the uh, important lessons that we've learned from monitoring the COVID-19 vaccine during distribution and storage? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say one of the biggest lessons learned is that we need uh, additional collaboration across the supply chain. For all, from all partners involved. Uh, the ability to speak honestly and convey what each other's needs and wants are um, is gonna be critical, obviously, moving forward. And we understand that challenges are going to happen. Uh, we saw you know, outages and shortages all over the place, uh, but sharing information early is key. Uh, supply chain visibility has also become critical as well. With the visibility comes the opportunity to move from a position of reaction to prevention. and. This goes beyond just knowing where your products are at any one time, but conditional attributes, which assure the products are safe and can be and are able to be used. We know in the in the uh, vaccine distribution, the temperatures are extremely low, and uh, and we know that if it deviates, uh, it can cause loss. So we really need to understand uh, the temperatures to assure that they are safe. Um, you know, before we put them in somebody's arms. And this leads to one of the hottest conversations right now, and it's the need for the control tower visibility of the supply chain. Mm. Uh, what I often say is we bring together different uh, teams across the organization, uh, be it the supply chain group, logistics, purchasing, procurement, as well as safety and quality teams. We show them the information and through their own eyes, they can gain insights to improve their own programs uh, for the customer uh, and the consumer, ultimately. A, a lot of great points there. A lot, of, a lot of really good points there. And the main thing that I'm picking up on, on, on here is with all these different things, you need the visibility, you need the trust, you need the control tower, you need to be able to rely on these partners. So when you're looking at a strong supply chain, right, I'm an organization, I'm a business, I'm a shipper. What do I need to look for? How do I begin developing those strong supply chain relationships? Or how do you start doing it there at Control? What do you guys do? Yeah, I'd say that one of the things that I've noticed specifically is uh, the change from the classic um, RFP process to more of a partner relationship model in which um, you've instead you move away from that transition transactional model of to a value model where organizations and team members are valued and they're willing to invest in the business because they know that it's going to be there in the long term. Um, and in this model, what I what I find is that there's a mutual commitment, which is required, and it may show itself through uh, a variety of types of investments. And this could include um, investments in implementing new food safety or quality programs, diversification of sites or other investments. 
And this also means that there must be transparency from both sides of uh, from the supplier as well as from the shipper or the logistics provider. And the customer must share exactly where they are and where they're trying to go so that it's um, as transparent and uh, valuable as possible. Um, and on the other side of that coin is the customer investment. Um, going back to our previous topic about control tower visibility, we're finding that our customers are allowing their 3PLs, logistics distributors um, to monitor and actively intervene on their shipments uh, through that system so that everybody can look at the same information and gain value from that. Um, you know, generally even without charging is just part of the part of the program. Um, but with that said, uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has also showed the importance of diversification. Um, having multiple backup shipping sites and suppliers, and in some cases, backups to those backups has been really important to assure business continuity. Now, Jeremy, we kind of have a rule on this show that it should be accessible to everybody. So for those out there who haven't really heard about a control tower, define what a control tower is in 2021. What does it mean when we're using that term? And what does the control tower of the future look like? Absolutely. So um, it became quite clear during the pandemic that in general, our supply chains weren't as flexible as we expected them to be or needed them to be. And with that said, it was critical that we learn this lesson just one time. So preparing for the future, we need to build resiliency into our supply chain. And through this, um, we introduce our what we consider our control tower. And the, the core of the control tower would be uh, supply chain resiliency. But what is that for organizations? Uh, for controlling, that means visibility, collaboration, and agility. And for visibility, that means integrating uh, the knowledge of where your shipments are. Uh, but beyond that, um, understanding that they're in the conditions that you expect them to be um, and at the condition that they need to be to assure that they're safe and can be used. Um, and on top of that, you should build into your control tower uh, collaboration. And so, like I said, you can share the information across, uh, you know, anybody within the supply chain who can gain value from that. You can set that up um, based on uh, location-based access. So organizations can receive just the information they need, or you can provide them uh, all the information that they may need for their systems. And that information can include any type of information that's important to you. So that might be temperature information, locational information, um, or other insights um, through the utilization of big data. That, that tells you where a problem may be happening, uh, potentially at a port or a crosstalk location so that you can, um, you can set programs and processes in place to minimize those risks. And then ultimately, um, you're building an agility as well. And so because everybody can see the information and everybody's receiving the reporting, uh, they can actively intervene uh, and work with a sense of urgency to uh, mitigate those risks before they significantly impact the customer. Beautiful. Very well explained. Very well explained. You know, now that you mentioned this, this America's test kitchen thing, or maybe I'm the one who brought up Michael Vincent, we have to have him come on and cook it forward in the future. Maybe you can tell us how oh, yeah. to handle some of these yeah. uh, chili relleno ingredients. And from a supply chain perspective, as he makes his famous dish, I would love to see that. Uh, in the meantime, yeah. though, we want to send people over to, uh, if they want to learn more about Controlant or they want to connect with you, where do we send them to? Yeah. You can go to controlant.com or you can go to, uh, you can send me an email at jeremy at controlant.com. Be happy to connect you and, uh, and meet and discuss how we can uh, help solve some of your supply chain challenges. Nice. And let us know if you're going to cook some chili relleno for us. We would appreciate that. 
Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll come back and we'll, we'll make some, we'll, we'll cook a little bit. That'll okay. I'll let you know. I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll show you a segment we did previously. It went very well. Uh, one of our guests made a Caesar salad. It was, uh, surprise, it went surprisingly well. Uh, Joe, it really did. <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. It's been fun. Take care. So a couple of, a couple of comments here uh, in REV power over in Texas. So it turns out a lot of the wind t- turbines are frozen, Michael Vincent. So that's cutting uh. heavily. Cutting heavily into the grid. There you go. Yeah. Shutting down the grid. I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah, they weren't prepared. Yeah, you know, when, I lived, at all when I lived down in Miami, we had to, we had, to, we had, uh, uh, you know, generators to control the, to run the container freight stations in case of hurricane. But the, the, the deal was they could also tap into them during brownout situations in Miami, which happened quite often or did at that time anyway. I mean, it's cold there, but you think the wind turbines would be rated to a certain level. I get maybe they just didn't. I don't know. They just didn't consider that it could get that cold in uh, in Texas. You know, it starts being like the day after tomorrow movie. I guess. I mean, dude, when we cruised up to Chicago in the in the uh, you know up to our event there in the blizzard, we went right through all those in 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 you know in northern Indiana, all those uh, just fields and fields of wind turbines, and they were rolling through that blizzard. Yeah. Well, they might have thought a little bit more ahead about the cold weather yeah. but hey Jody Jody Spaulding is the owner director of operations at 5k logistics at a Bardstown Kentucky and he's coming on now to tell us a little bit about his comeback story going from gateway computers to owning a logistics company hey Jody thanks for joining us on air today hey thanks for having us hey so so tell us a little bit about yourself man tell, uh, who are you well uh been in transportation since uh what 2001 um Started my own uh, company in 2015. Uh, was an agent for a little bit till we got some capital um, to work with. Got our own authority in uh, 2017, and uh, things really started clicking in 18. And we've been growing ever since. So, what were you doing before you started this uh, your logistics company? In the late 90s, I was uh, selling computers, gateway uh, cow boxes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had a gateway cow box. I yeah. actually had a computer that came in it as well. We've talked about it before. They were a little bit ahead of their time, right? In terms of like selling on online. I mean, they also had like a big phone component going on. Uh, Might have worked a little bit better, you know, in moving into the 2000s than in the late 90s. So d- what gave you this interest in logistics? As part of the segment is is comebacks. And a lot of us have started on different roads than what we're on now. So you're out there trying to mm-hmm. trying to hawk cow box computers to people. And, and at some point you got to be like, I got to make a change in my life. How to take us down this road? Yeah, so uh, I was doing doing really well and loving selling computers. And what forced the change is uh, I walked in one day, and after Y two K didn't in the in the world, uh, <laughs> I came in and my job wasn't there anymore. So I uh, had to. I was kind of forced to uh, make a change. And uh, a buddy of mine, he said, my wife works at this company. I'm not really sure what she does, but she seems to like it. And they're hiring somebody. And uh, I was like, cool. So I got uh, an interview over there, really had no clue even after the interview, what, what the job was about, but it was at uh, CH Robinson and uh, <laughs> got in there in 2001 and uh, fell in love with the job, just the pace of the everyday environment. At that point, uh, Robinson was pretty, pretty small all things considered, there's only about 2,000 employees in North America. And uh, technology had really just started taking a hold of uh, the logistics space. And uh, the backhaulers transit uh, acquisition was fairly new. So all of that technology was being meshed together. 
and man, it, it just took off. And uh, I was there for about seven years and uh, went over to J.B. Hunt in 2008, helped them start their ICS division. I was one of the first directors on the uh, uh, on the branch development side and uh, was there for a couple years. Uh, loved it. Loved my time there. Worked for some really great people there. Back to CH for a bit and then started my own company in 15. So it's really interesting how, you know, people, uh, it, like Dooner said, it's a comeback, it's a second choice, that type of thing, right? It was the first thing that I got into when I when I got out of college after traveling around the U.S. for a little bit. Um, but it gets in your blood and it just sticks there. Uh, what was it that made you jump out and say, I'm going to start my own? Was it just, hey, I want to be self-sufficient, I'm an entrepreneur, that's what I like to do? Was it from your sales background? What was it that said, hey, I'm going to go do this myself? You know, I'd, I'd reached a point where I, I'd i been in operations, I'd been in sales. Um, I'd been in sales for a certain point and made some really great connections. But I think I'd kind of plateaued um, back in my second stint with CH. And uh, there had been a, a few things where I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall for me. And it was at a point where I, uh, I needed to uh, kind of endeavor out on my own. Um, so uh, I'd made... Uh, like I said, made some good carrier and customer connections and uh, called my wife and I was like, Hey, I think I might, uh, and take, we, we have five children. Um, and she's a, a teacher. <laughs> so it's not like we were rolling in it at the time. And uh, I was like, Hey, I'm going to quit my job and start my own company. And she was like, I don't think that's a great idea, but I did it anyway. <laughs> Solid was, uh, plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it worked out. Uh, she was very supportive and uh, started in the basement of our home at the time. And uh, the agent, the agent, uh, I was an agent with uh, Roadrunner at the time. They're what, Ascent Global now. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was a good platform to me to, for me to jump off and uh, not, we had hedged some risk at that point uh, with that split and uh, bank some capital until we could get our own thing going. But uh, yeah, I've kind of reached a, a point in my career where I really didn't see anymore there wasn't anywhere in that uh, that flat uh, hierarchy at uh, at ch for me to go anywhere yeah i had a similar experience at fedex trade networks it was sort of like uh there's nowhere else to go in the boston office it, you know where my career was going with with them it was a great company but it was like move to memphis or uh stay in the area and go look at a different company and sometimes that happens but i like to highlight these stories especially with covid a lot of people lost their jobs a lot of people who are selling right. computers doing something in a different walk of life and now they're walking into their job at ch robinson or at another company they're not sure exactly where this career is going to take them maybe they're at the sales job they feel like they've plateaued and um i think it's cool to inform people on kind of that next step and what goes into striking out on your own and building your own company what does the 5k and 5k logistics stand for Five kids, mm. you know, people, you know, we've got five children. People are like, are you a runner? I'm like, no, no, I do not run. <laughs> That's there exactly no what I going. thought. <laughs> yeah, no, no, there's, there's no jogging of any type here. Um, I've got five children uh, from, uh, I've got three girls, 22, 18 and 16, and then two boys. Uh, he'll want to be 14 this month and an 11 year old. So my oldest, she's a nurse at University of Kentucky. And then uh, I've got one that's getting ready to graduate high school. One is a junior in high school. And then two boys that are both in middle school. 
Nice. Very nice. Yes. Very nice. So, hey, yeah. you know, we talk about we talk about I, I want to get into something here, Jody. We talk about the the different the outbound tender rejections and the pricing and, and how it's affected uh, by, by the different movements in the economy. But weather does that as well. Have you seen that? And how do you see uh, uh, weather impacting pricing and capacity? Well, you know, we're kind of we're interesting in our model. We we work a lot. You know, I talked to a lot of colleagues that. Um, we talk about their contract versus spot and like, we're, we work pretty heavily in, uh, in the spot market. Uh, we've grown in a, in a niche market. When I got out on my own, I, I swore we weren't going to go head to head with, with CH and JB Hunt. And I didn't think that made sense. So we, we got into a niche market, uh, supplying pop-up capacity in, uh, in the salvage and liquidation market. We do mm-hmm. a lot of unique stuff in big box retail, um, where we're not chasing the um, what what are you going to do for these 50 loads, mm-hmm. um, you know, from Louisville to Dallas? You know, yeah. we're, we're, I don't want to compete. But hey, but you did post. But, but you did. I think we're talking most immediately, though, about this weather, because you did post negotiating rates with carriers owner offs right. today. People are, are saying they can't do no, it for I, X because of the weather. So what impact is it having right now? Yeah. You know, we worked a project this weekend where from Alabama to, to Southern Indiana, where those, those loads should have been going for, you know, just say a thousand to 1200 bucks. And we were paying upwards of two grand, you know, so it's, mm. you know, it's just a, it's an interesting dynamic the where, where um, trucks should have been entering the market in Northern Alabama, but they couldn't get down because of weather. So capacity is, is strained and the, the trucks that it, it immediately, that market's immediately imbalanced and the, the trucks that are there, it's a, it's imbalanced from, and trucks to trucks to load. So you're immediately, um, if you, if you do have a truck in hand, you need to, to grab it so you can service your customer. So your the weather is impacting, I believe everybody on our end. Um, so you gotta, you gotta do what you can to service the customer to get those loads moved. So it did definitely drive up rates. You are worried about, uh, carriers you deal with on the, sur- on the, uh, safety end. You don't want to put anybody in harm's way, um, yeah. and make good decisions that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Jody, Jody, we've run out of time in this segment, but if people want to learn more about 5k logistics, where should we send them? You know, we're always, uh, like everybody else, we're on Facebook, uh, but we have, uh, uh you can go to, 5klog.com. That's the number five letter K log.com. That's our website. Um, but you can find us on, uh, on Facebook. We, uh, we update our social media pretty often, cool. but, uh, always reach out to us on either platform. Thank you once again. Thanks for sharing your journey with us and anybody out there. You get fired today. You get fired last week. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing forward, especially in this industry. You can yeah, keep baby. punching. That's one of the great things about logistics. You can keep fighting. You don't have to give up. Thanks, Jody. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. And speaking of newlegendinc.com, we're going to speak to the man, the myth, the legend, Inc. It's Robert Moffitt, EVP and Director of Operations over at Legend Transportation in beautiful Yuba City, California. Robert, thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, man? How's how's uh, how's the day treating? Is the weather a little bit better over in uh, Yorba City than uh, the rest of the country? Well, we're in the valley, so we're missing the snow. It's about two hours away from us. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, we're just missing it here. It's just a, a little bit to the north of us here. We're missing the uh, we're missing the uh, the uh, ice storm here. Thank goodness, it's been rough out there. Hey, tell us a little. We were just uh, we're we're reading an article about you. And it says uh, Samara and and Moffitt are the uh, are the trucking firm's dynamic duo, so to speak. We're kind of like brothers from other mothers. We think the same way. That's a direct quote from you. Tell us a little bit about new new legend before we get down to business here. Well. We're a company we started in 2007. Um, back then, we I'll call it uh, three people and 20 trucks. And uh, today, we're running about 900 trucks, uh, 4,000 dry trailers, and 100 beefers. Uh, we run 11 Western, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and we kind of are spearheading some things in the Midwest and going to grow that piece up for another eight or nine states and uh, try to put some more trucks on the road. Uh, hire some more drivers and uh, continue our growth that we've done. We've had a substantial growth since 2007. Uh, We've had double digit each year consistently, even in some downturn markets. I think it's due to the assets. Yeah, it's uh, so that's interesting. I mean, the double digit growth, I see it's like like 20 to 30 percent double digit growth is what we're talking about here year over year. How, How have you been able to achieve that exponential type of growth every year? I I mean, so consistently. Consistently, well, yeah. I'll say I think it's our customers. You know, when we pick shippers of choice, we go out and we market to the customers and look at the things we're trying to do. Um, probably one, probably less than one percent of our business is done through a broker um, or uh, anything else. But basically, we're working for the customers. That's that's how we've grown our business, and that's our concentration. Um, that's what we feed into the sales team. That's what we feel in, into our operational department to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, if we have a truck in Montana and I don't have a load, then, yeah, we're going to have to take a load from a broker to get it back into the network. But other than that, we're doing our best to do what we can to make sure that we are taking our loads from our customers and servicing our customers. You know, they, they all, everybody talks about shipper of choice, and that's what we want to be. We want to be a carrier of choice. Makes sense. I mean, in, in, in the article, it says that your motto is putting customers first. And it was talking about, um, a deal you struck with a major grocer to deliver bread products to its stores on the West Coast. You spent $35,000 adding special equipment to 30 of your trailers. That sounds really interesting. Tell us a little bit about that opportunity and how you service customers in that unique and special way. So basically, we uh, had a customer come on board and it was Albertsons and they have a bread manufacturer in the, in the Bay Area. And to haul the freight, they put everything onto rails and basically put it into the trailer, and then they have to lock into place. So we had to put these devices in so that they were held in place so we could transport them from uh, Northern California into Southern California. Um, so, And we did that with those trailers to meet the demands of the customer. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's striking to me what you're talking about here. And, and you know, we talk to many people, Dooner and I do, obviously, on this show. Uh, and everybody talks about the sales and building those relationships, right? And and being that solution provider, you're in it for the long haul. You've had companies, I, I believe, like the your first Fortune 500 company that you had is still, is still a customer of yours. And we're talking about people like TJ Maxx and Walmart and Target, and Macy's and these type of people. Is it that true, like you just talked about? that true partnership and solution-based rather than just talking the talk that keeps them coming back and, and staying with you year after year? So I think the value for us is this. It's Saturday morning. Something's going on. I get a phone call. We have people in the office. We run 24-7. But if something is critically 
uh, out there. We'll get a phone call from a customer and make sure that we're doing what we can, what, uh, how we can make things work. Good, a good example is this weekend. We had weather, right? Mm. We have a strong relationship with Treehouse, and uh, they have some loads that were down in Texas, and we had some concerns, and or they had some concerns that we were going to be able to execute. And I think the big piece from that is, you know, we were all trying to get figure out what we could do. It's an ice storm, um, but the product is, I'll call it, the product is uh, perishable. So do we load it on a dry van and move it down the road, or, or what? What? What's the plan? So having those conversations, even on a Saturday or Sunday, they're calling me. Actually, if they're even calling the owner and having a conversation, we're all kind of working together to make sure that we're servicing like we need to. And if it is critical that it has to move, it moves. But if we can't get there, then, you know, we're having that conversation. Yeah, I imagine you had to over the weekend, uh, especially with these ice storms. We talked about him at the beginning of the mm-hmm. show. We showed some footage. Um, there's some really tough roads out there. There's some really some really bad, a bad looking scene in a lot of different places. And this is supposed to carry through to about Tuesday. Are you are uh, is this going to be a, a week where you all got to kind of bolt in and, and really provide some strong customer service to to your partners? You're exactly right. I would say that I would say from the core point of going to Oregon and Washington, the core point of going to Texas, Oklahoma, uh, through those areas, um, you know, you've got stuff that are going that's going on in Denver. So in, in the true sense of where we're running, it's truly going to be it's going to make a difference um, as far as, you know, the big picture is what if we're going to move, where are the drivers going to get to so that it's a safe environment for them? So they don't put themselves in arm's way uh, of possibly getting, you know, getting in a situation where they can't get out of. So it's going to be truly conversations with the customers, conversations with our drivers, conversations within our whole entire team to make sure we're performing at the levels that we need to. And, you know, some of the emails might be ugly this week to the customers because we're, we can't control weather, um, but we can try to do the best we can to make our deliveries and do the things that we need to do. You know, Robert, it, uh, everything that you're saying sounds like you guys are a very, very strong partner and you're very upfront and honest and, and a good uh, logistics partner to have and wanting to make things perfect or at least have that expert grasp on what your business is before you expand. Are you at that point now? I mean, there is freight on the other side of the Mississippi. Are you coming east, coming out of the western states in any time soon? So I would say that our core market is going to be this year will be to concentrate on uh, expanding into uh, our expansion into Texas, going uh, up towards Chicago, probably staying towards the uh, Minnesota side. Um, I do have a, a sales rep that's in Atlanta. There's opportunities that are out there that we could be good doing, but it's got to work. I just can't send one truck out there and say that's what we're going to do to make it work. We actually mm-hmm. have to build a network and make sure that we have freight going in and coming back out, making sure that we're doing the things we need to do so we have consistent growth instead of trying to do something that will say we're, we're trying to make it work and see how it works, and then we throw it out there and we lose money. So it's kind of we're trying to play it safe, build around the customers we have, do the things we can do, and uh, get better at everything we can to grow the company. Wow. Well, hey, uh, if people want to check out, they want to learn more information about it. I mean, uh, where should they go? Where should they um, where should they check out? So we have a website. We have uh, Facebook. We have all the uh, media partners, LinkedIn, stuff like that that they can do. But our website's uh, www.newlegendinc.com. And they can go out there and request information. You can actually contact me directly at my email at rmoffitt 
It's R-M-O-F-F-I-T-T at newlegendinc.com. And we'll, we can have a discussion on how we can help everybody in transportation. Well, hey, thank you for supporting What the Truck, and thanks for coming on the show today. Have a great week, and and um, God bless all the drivers out there who are putting themselves in harm's way, and God bless your team for helping uh, all of them navigate that and get that all sorted out, especially in perishables. I've dealt with perishables before. I know that it's a lot of late-night phone calls and uh, a lot of anxiety working on that side of the field. Um, thank you so much one more time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Robert. There's one guy in the comments. He's uh, he's trying to sell freight broker bonds. Guys, if you want to sell things in the comments, the best way to go and do it is to network with the community in the comments. Don't just go throwing a, a mess message out there. Does that really work? I don't think that works. Guys in the comments, do you think that what would work? <laughs> What's he selling? I'm not. I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not going to promote it. I'm just. It's not like necessarily a bad thing, but I'm just. I don't know. Maybe he's got to listen to put that coffee down today at 1 p.m. <laughs> you might you might sell some more. I don't know. Just putting a message out there it doesn't work. I don't want to go on a rant. I don't want to go on a rant. You know, when, instead, you know what I'll do? I'll talk to Sean Jones. Let's bring on Sean Jones, CEO of Quick Loads out of Athens, Come on. Ohio. Sean. Hey, guys. <laughs> Sean. Sean, I need a fellow. I need a, shell, a, fi- a fellow Ohioan to calm him down. He's getting a little out of control over here. <laughs> I just I'm looking at some spam yeah. messages over here. I'm just saying there's better ways to go about it. <laughs> well, it's funny because I watch what the truck all the time. And so I kind of get to feel like I know you guys. And then I realized, well, I've never talked to them before in my life. So, so now it's like, oh, well, at least I've solved that problem. That's the beauty. <laughs> That's the beauty of podcasts, right? Is you, you, get, you get people stuck in your ears when you're walking around and grocery shopping. And then you're like, I th- you know, I feel like those guys talk to me all the time. And that's, yeah, that's what we're going for. That's the vibe. One thing I know about you, though, speaking about personal information, is you are a private pilot. Is that true? I am. I am. Yeah. How, how long have you been flying for? How many hours you got up in the air? You know, I... I have my own airplane, and so I never really actually I, I stopped recording the things inside the book. Um, I've got to be over a thousand hours, um, but I, I just haven't flown it much that anymore. I, I really help when you have your own airplane. Every day, there's like a beautiful day in the summer, and you see those big puffy clouds. You're like, "All right, I'm going out to the airport and <laughs> just fly around in the clouds." But uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, if people think that, oh, you have your own airplane, it's like, no, you've never seen my airplane. It's a 1963 Cherokee. Uh, so uh, it was not, it was not a beautiful thing with, you know, leather well, seats or anything. Is it like it a, as old as me? Is, <laughs> is owning a plane sort of like owning a boat or owning a pool? It's always better if like your best friend has one instead. Yeah, it really is. I mean, <laughs> there's always something going wrong with it. But uh, yeah, one time I had my son in the back and the engine quit. This thing had just come out of annual, just out of annual. Fortunately, we were up pretty high and the engine quit. And this is how dumb I am. <laughs> I hear the engine quit. You hear it swallowing the valve. You hear it go and come to a stop. I thought, okay, great. Maybe I haven't destroyed it. And then I go, I am falling out of the sky. Whoa. Screw that engine. <laughs> and I, I managed to start it again. We managed to land it, but it was, uh, it was just, you know, like I say, it made no sense. It was, who cares about the engine? You're falling out. Of yeah. The yeah. Oh, yeah. First reaction. Your first reaction is maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> the, yeah, engine. the engine. <laughs> what? You're falling out of the sky. What's the matter yeah. with you? <laughs> well, you're a bobcat and you guys are pretty chill. I mean, you're, you came from a yeah. school who Dooner, they had a guy try out for the mascot there. And he, for four years, he, he worked and tried to be the mascot with the sole purpose of tackling Brutus Buckeye at a game in Ohio Stadium. He achieved that goal and then was immediately kicked off the team. Is that not right, Sean? Yeah. What? 
<laughs> do we have video yeah, of this? Like, dude, the dude worked for four years to get on and be the mascot of, of, of Ohio University just because they were playing at Columbus against Ohio State for the sole purpose of before the game, he wanted to tackle Brutus Buckeye on air, and he got that done. This is like a Save by the, the Bell plot line. You're like in it for the long con. <laughs> I kid you not. I saw it. I saw it happen live. It was unbelievably cool to see yeah, him get that a combination of stubbornness and you know <laughs> what the hell you know <laughs> yeah well hey tell Absolutely. us hey tell well quick loads is, this is all all these great stories are, are awesome but also quick loads looks pretty cool tell us a little bit about that as well all right get right to it um so quick loads builds a uh computer controlled wi-fi enabled trailer that can automatically move loaded sea shipping containers the driver can do the whole thing, never gets out of the seat in the truck, three minutes. You might say, well, so what? Well, the so what is 90% of the world's freight travels in sea shipping containers. So everything from your socks to your cell phone is bent on these things. And we are the only company in the world that has come up with a way to automatically, quickly, safely move these things. It's, it's, it's going to change everything about freight logistics. So. Suddenly, freight and logistics are no longer, if you're going to use intermodal freight, you're no longer stuck to places where you have giant cranes. Uh, distribution centers no longer need all those loading docks. Just everything changes. So. Right, Michael? It, it is really uh, kind of, it, it, is, it is very cool. So where does this fit into the supply chain? I, I was in uh, logistics. I was talking to Dooner about this a little bit before. I was in Maritime, and we spotted some stuff. We always had the issue uh, of how to get our containers off the ground, right? Had to make sure that they had the right equipment that is there. So where does this actually fit in in the, in the supply chain for people? Well, um, there's a couple places. So let's. Uh, uh, I'll start with this. So right after Hurricane Harvey, I was delivering a container full of uh, relief supplies down to Houston. And so when I'm rolling into Houston, um, there are hundreds and hundreds of other trucks, drivers, trailers full of relief supplies just waiting at these DCs, uh, distribution centers. Um, they're just sitting there because they're waiting for a loading dock. And then once they get their stuff into a warehouse, if there's enough room, then they still have to distribute it. Meanwhile, I was sent to this church parking lot, pulled out my cell phone, three minutes, my container's on the ground. People are unloading diapers and cleaning supplies and all that stuff out of this thing. And so that kind of shows how we change things because suddenly a distribution center doesn't need to be a giant building with hundreds of trucks waiting for loading docks. A distribution center can be a parking lot somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. And so a distribution center could literally pop up. You know, if Amazon has an emergency somewhere or if there's a, a flood or, or some other emergency, a distribution center, since everything with quick loads is at ground level accessible, can be anything, any any kind of parking lot. And wow. the other thing that it kind of showed is um, like when you guys were talking to Valkyrie the other day, they're they're one of our development partners. Those robots and drones only have about a four mile range. So that means you need to have a micro distribution center for these guys. So if you can take a quick loads and drop a container in a parking spot somewhere in a neighborhood, all these robots and drones can go out, do their thing, come back empty, quick loads comes, picks it up. And so you've solved that micro distribution problem in an incredibly cheap way because you're using a freaking parking spot. You know, you don't have to have any kind of permanent facility. And if more deliveries need over done over in this area than over in that area, then that's where you drop your container. So, you know, this is a problem that Neuro and Amazon and all those guys are spending billions on. And it's a really simple solution. Just take a container, drop it at ground level, off they go, come back, and we're done. Um, Sean. We figured that we could say 
Well, yeah. So I got to ask you, what's on that? Because I'm distracted by your whiteboard. Now. I'm trying to read this from uh, I'm trying to read this on the screen. You're going all goodwill hunting with probably equations and stuff. What's what's being mapped out there? there? My guys would be like, no, you put that up. <laughs> It's a chili rianos uh, 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 recipe. Oh, that got oh, me that's hungry. Right. That's what they're working with. They're trying to straighten out our EIR system. Got you. Well, you're over. You're over in Nelsonville. I watched one of your videos. One of you is, is your human resources person still into, into roller, roller derby? Yeah. <laughs> no, unfortunately, she left us. But uh, yeah, she was a, she she was a, a great person for human resources for being in a roller derby. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're not going to come to her with a complaint, right? She'll put you against the boards. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, she was great, uh, and she was so much fun at parties. So, hey, well, well, let's get a little Shark Tank here. How much do these tra- like trailers cost, and what's the business behind it? How are you selling these out to your partners, or how does it all work? Well, see, that's the thing is, like right now, they're still pretty expensive because we're building them basically one at a time by hand, and that's the whole reason we're, we're we just finally got into a new building in September, and we're just finally now re- able to scale. Um, we think that we can start selling these things well all right so we have uh we have one that we're going to concentrate on and we're going to put all uh we're going to make that one our mass manufacturer so right now if you came to quick loads and said i want to buy the 60k trailer 40 foot long you're looking at one hundred eight thousand dollars, and you're looking at probably six months before we get to the scale one that we're working on now the one that's going to be our mass market one we think we can get that price down to about thirty two thousand. And we think that we can have one to you in as little as a week. So that's that's the difference. That's the difference between, you know, going from, you know, slowly organically growing and then suddenly being able to scale and get a bunch of these out there at once. Um, but, you know, our customers are all over the place. Like we have one that's as far away as um, United Arab Emirates. We have a company that, hmm. that builds landing systems and they use our system to move it. Um, you know, it just, uh, it's just all over the place. So. So do you have customers that are using these, taking them into the port, getting, and they can drop a container onto them and then taking them because they want to drop them at their place? I mean, there was a ton of those type of, I mean, like, uh, I think I remember Jamaica Lines was actually a guy had a 20 foot container sitting on the side of his house on a, by the, by the Miami river. Right. Is that, that type of customer there? Not for empty so much because there's Mm. a couple of companies that build like super simple trailers that are just Mm. basically I beams. And so if all you're yeah. going to do is move empties, you can have the back part of that trailer hang off four feet, and then you don't need a quick load. So you, in that case, you could just back up. It gets loaded at the port. You back up, you drop your empty, and you go. Um, our market is really from removing loaded containers because we are the only trailer in the world that can do that automatically. And uh, you know, and we're handling like 60,000 pounds at a time. And also our trailers are, are multi-use. So – we talked about building a pure container mover, but really our trailers are like a tow trailer and that they can tilt back. You can load equipment on it. It's got a flatbed. We actually had a customer who invented something for us. Um, he, he figured out a way to use our chain drive system to get the trailer to auto unload itself of pallets. So he sends a wow. video. Oh, that's a great idea. So now we've yeah. a video. About it. <laughs> so. Well, Sean, I got to ask you something because we're, we're just about out of time here. Uh, we'll have to have you on to, to get even deeper into this kind of stuff. But I was watching this movie. You're a pilot. So this, this is applicable to you. I was watching this movie Horizon Line. I rented it about two weeks ago. And it's this couple like on their honeymoon and the pilot has a heart attack. So they have to start just flying this plane over the ocean, just off in the distance. The radio's not working. And at one point, this lady, she they're like, oh, we have all this rum we were going to bring to the wedding. So she climbs on the wing of the airplane and just starts pouring rum into one of the fuel tanks and my question this does not this seem like bs to me but would that actually work uh 
I, you know, maybe for a while. I, I it had to be. You, it had to be like Everclear uh, or something like that, wouldn't it? I mean, it had to be like. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I'm gonna say no. No. I, I, yeah. I would love to see somebody do it though. I bet. I bet somebody could do it. But you could get the right stunt guy who's like Spider Man who could stick to that wing and manage. Dude, she was. Off. She was like a fiance. She was just going to her wedding. I don't think she'd ever climbed onto a. She was definitely not a stuntman. There's this like Fear Factor type moment going on up here she, but in the movie it worked it worked wasn't a great film though i don't recommend it um sean thank you so much people want to learn more about quick loads where do we send them to quickloads.com beautiful there you go easy as it goes that's, that's with a z too right quick loads with the z yeah, quick loads with a z thank All you right. thanks sean appreciate it thanks a lot man. all right let's get into Peace, a, let's get into a uh i don't know you think that would i think they did that in the gods must be crazy as well they're pouring like alcohol in the airplane yeah. Yeah, it's happened before. I, I mean, maybe maybe 151 or, or, or Everclear grain out. Maybe. Where did Michael go? I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, I, don't know. I think I muted myself. I muted myself. Okay. Next and I grabbed all right. Mic. All right. Mute yourself now so I can get to big deal, little deal. What happened? You no, you, you can't. You don't, you don't even have to reply. You just, when you say mute, you just mute. You just don't speak. That'll work. Because I do this, then you can't hear that. What happened? There we go. Okay. Big deal, little deal. (laughs) Michael Vincent, Keystone Pipeline, cancellations impact on rail. Is that a big deal or a little deal? Am I I allowed to talk now? Yes, yes, you're allowed to talk. I'm just talking. When I say mute, you don't have to say another sentence after someone says, okay, just mute. You don't have to go, okay, I'm muting now. You just mute. (laughs) But now you don't have to mute. now we're in the I, I segment. Love you too. I love you too. Uh, this is a very confusing deal, uh, Dooner, because when you look into the logistics of what's going on here with this Keystone Pipeline, right? Uh, first of all, it wasn't going to get done but in four years. They started working on this thing after Trump approved it, not realizing, I don't know how, that the next administration could just cut it off uh, while you're not even done and you're still working on a thing. The other thing is it depends on who you talk to and where you go. I'd love to hear John Kingston's input if this is a big deal or a little deal, because it doesn't mean that everything is going to go on a rail, uh, although some could hit the rail, which then causes problem because of speeds and environmental and so on and so forth. But then there's other pipelines that this could go into as well. Plus, the importance of it also comes into how much oil are we going to consume? What's the price of oil? How much is, can we import or export more or less oil? So there's a ton of other things that are going in here. I think in the long run, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal as it is a confusing deal. Okay. Barry Prentice, he's from the University of Manitoba, Manitoba Supply Chain Management. He, um, he says this means more crude will have to move by rail. The huge investments in the oil sounds will not be abandoned and the oil has to go somewhere. So it could be a boon maybe for, for truckload and rail. We'll have to monitor it because we're talking about yep. canceling something that wasn't impacting anything yet. I mean, all those people lost their jobs obviously get impacted. I mean, hopefully. I mean, that can happen when an energy or a project goes outdated. Hopefully there's new opportunities in renewables or wherever that money is being diverted to right if there isn't that would be a big deal but hopefully there is a- absolutely so uh so here's one that may or may not be a big deal i know you've got your uh your cyber truck coming right yeah. but jaguar is going to go electric by 2025 mm. big deal or little deal there are you going to get rid of your cyber truck in two years or will you have it by then why i mean why would i it's already electric this would be more applicable to someone that didn't have an electric car i think it's just the yeah, way this it goes is a jaguar not a cyber truck yeah, well, i wouldn't want why would i want a jaguar when i can get a cyber truck i wouldn't even consider a jaguar electric or or regular motor but just for the sake of argument here no i wouldn't get a jaguar even if it was electric i'm not a huge fan of the jaguars or the range rovers um i've heard about too many problems with them i've heard they fixed some of them so i'm not trying to throw shade on them they're just not my particular i do like the hood ornament i like the jaguar hood ornament now i'd put one of those on my cyber truck right do you think that would work 
I think it would be very, very cool. <laughs> well, and I think I think you fit the bill for somebody who would do that. Well, here, well, here's what's going on. So, like by twenty, so by twenty thirty nine, right? They they're they want to be net zero carbon, but it's twenty twenty five that they want all of these things to be electric. Every one of their vehicles, you won't even be able to get uh, traditional combustible engine vehicles from Jaguar. So, I think that's a pretty big deal because we're one of the they're one of the first uh, major OEMs that we've heard make such a grandiose statement in such a short timeline. Right. So I think that part of it is a big deal. But we also know that if they want to sell vehicles in California and a lot of other places, they're going to have to start considering all these environmental impact stuff by 2035 anyway. So they're just easing into it a little bit earlier than maybe some of these other OEMs. But I think we're going to be seeing a lot of them there. And I don't think this is the last of these stories that we hear. So um, it, it is the la- it's the latest of a number of them. really. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, and they're just saying they're c- committing big money to it, right? It's two point five billion pounds annually into this investment in electrification technology. And the other big thing we're going to see start coming out is connected services technology. That'll be uh, another huge um, thing. Theirs is called Pivotal it's a subscription model too. So it's like the SaaS yeah. version that goes along with your driver assist, your electrified vehicles. Here's one for us at Global Supply Chain Week. You can win. A number of number of amazing prizes. Just go to live.freightwaves.com. Global Supply Chain Week is February 22nd to March 3rd. It's the biggest virtual event in freight. It's live, free, it's virtual, but we've even sweetened the pot. You go to live.freightwaves.com. You do that free registration. You can win all this stuff. You can win a tonal home gym. That's like a Peloton that you lift weights with. You, you stick it into your wall. It's got a bench on it. And you got the Xbox Series X. You couldn't get one of those for Christmas, but you can get one of those by registering for, for uh, Global Supply Chain Week at live.freightwaves.com. There's also Apple TV, Apple Watch, you got an 80 inch color TV. A lot of things going on. Big deal or little deal? It's it's a big deal, man. I think it's a really big deal. I want the golf club set, right? You do. I mean, I mean here's the thing. Great prizes that you can win, but dude, the content is going to be awesome. I mean, <sighs> when you talk about Global Supply Chain Week, it would is it 8 days? 8 days. I'd say 8 days a week, right? At um so <laughs> I mean, it, it, you're and you're covering you the pharmaceutical, the health, you know, maritime, et cetera. Yeah. Gary V is going to be there. Yeah. We've, we've got, got, who else? We've we got, got Ken Washington yes. from the Ford Motor Company is going to be there speaking. You, you've you got Tom uh, Madrecki, Consumer Brand Association, going to be talking just a tremendous about it. Bob Corker, U.S. Senate. Yeah. And we're, we're going to be there. Yeah. We're listing more keynotes every day. Those are just a few of the big name keynotes. That Gary V session is going to be great. We saw him at Transparency 19 in Atlanta when he talked to Craig Fuller. Super insightful. We'll hear what he has to say um, this time around. And I imagine it's going to be pretty incredible. Coming up Wednesday on the show at noon Eastern time, David Lester. He's the founder and CEO of Lollipop. This is a funny one. I hooked up with him because I did an interview in Business Insider talking about Tab going away. And uh, he read the interview and he's like, hey, I want to send you some Lollipop. And I had it and it was delicious. And I was like, hey, you want to come on the show and talk about the logistics behind launching a uh, carbonated, you know, healthy soda alternative? And he was like, Heck yes, I do. So we will have the opportunity to talk with him. We're going to have Tyler Robertson of Diesel Laptops. Talk about comeback stories. Talk about taking a big risk and building a company out of your garage. Tyler's doing an amazing job at that. Tom Albrecht, CFO and CRO at Reliance Partners. Talking about how long this bull freight market may last. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Duner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Uh, take care. Happy President's Day, right?